Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Friday, and it is January the 5th, and it is a friendly Friday, which means that we are going to have Steve Friend join us momentarily. In fact, I see him on a screen above me, hovering over me like the eyes of a judging younger, older brother. I don't know. He's younger than me, but he kind of is much more polished, right? Like all those things. All right. Before we bring Steve on, let's say a couple of quick thank yous to our friends that are uh, sponsoring this program. The things are uh, brought to you by our buddies over at Patriot Coolers. So here it is, Patriot Coolers. You guys can go to patriotcoolers.com. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. We'll save you 10%, 50 bucks or more. You're going to get free shipping. Easy to do. You can see they have a very uh, nice looking website and um, you can make a great purchase there. I don't have my Patriot Cooler sitting on my desk right now because I am flying. And when I fly, I'm going to be bringing my Patriot Cooler with me. People are telling me the audio is low. Why is the audio low? What is with you guys? Here, I'll just boost it up for you a little bit. All right, that should be better. Give me the thumbs up. You should be able to hear it. Good to go. And make sure that you are checking out patriotcoolers.com, promo code Kyle. And also you can tag them on social media. If you buy something from them uh, and you guys like it, give me a, give me a little tag on socials. They are at Patriot Coolers, both on True Social and on Twitter, which is also X. But anybody who wants to disagree with me on that, if you actually go to x.com, it immediately redirects you to Twitter. Just letting you guys know. Uh, let's do another one real quick too. Before we bring on Steve, we're going to do them all at one time. Here it is. How about four Patriots? You guys can go to fourpatriots.com slash Kyle or go to fourpatriots.com and you will land at this page right here. They are stacking solar generators behind me. As you guys can see, if you are not watching on our Rumble channel, you are missing out on that. Setting up cool solar panels. Check out all the interesting products that they are offering you guys because in an emergency, a couple things you're going to want. What you're going to want is some power and some calories and some water. Everything else is negotiable. Guys, check them out for survival needs, for camping needs, for RVing and things like that. Uh, also probably pretty fun at tailgates. Check out 4patriots.com slash Kyle. Yeah, that generator does look sweet. I'm seeing you guys in the chat as it goes scrolling by. It's, a, it's an endless loop behind me, but uh, very interesting looking. Check them out and uh, let's get right into it because we've got a bunch of stuff to cover. We've got a bunch of stories that have been going on. We got a Steve friend. Hold your horses, folks. Let's see if this one works. Let's bring him on. There he is, the real Steve friend. Steve, can you give me an audio check? How do we sound? Uh, you sound good to me. I am very happy to be here on Insurrection Day Eve. Thank you very much for it the opportunity. The eve of the insurrection, folks. If you hear Steve okay in the chat, give me a thumbs up if you would. And uh, apparently, Steve, your dad did not realize that I actually do a show five days a week. That was the that was the funniest thing that I've learned this week from you guys. Uh, give me the heads up on that. What's what's the story? How did he not know? I visited the family in a uh, post-Christmas, New Year's Day uh, visit for a couple of days, and uh, the, we were talking about, I forget even the issue, and he's, I said, yeah, Kyle talked about it on his show today, and that was news to him. He thought that we just had a friendly Friday show, and that was it, and then the next thing I knew, I heard him listening to the Kyle Serafin show on his phone, so you have a new thumbs up, you have a new follower. Uh, I think that he'll be a regular listener. I just got to get him in the chat, Steve's dad. You got you to you do it. And Steve's dad, you should actually come in as Steve's dad. That would be a good one for you. I think that's a strong handle. If that's what we're going to do, we might as well stick with it. Insurrection Eve, uh, we got a couple of things we're going to cover down on story-wise. Uh, let, me, let me throw this out. This is what I wanted to riff about just a bit. 
the greatest FBI agent of my youth was Fox Mulder, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to not have point break, if you're not going to uh, have Keanu yeah, there. Johnny, but yeah, Johnny, I mean, because he didn't investigate anything that well, he actually ended up losing. So let's just go with like long time over and over, the most reliable FBI agent of our youth, Fox Mulder. Here's my thing, because this Epstein stuff has gotten me thinking. I kept, I think about it in the, in the shower today when I was sitting there and I was like, all right, Fox Mulder actually is not a good FBI agent. He's not a good investigator for one reason. He's got it on his, here, I'm gonna throw it up on the screen so people can see. Behind him. The, the poster behind him says, I want to believe. So he's already coming from a place of, he wants to accept, he wants to believe something, right? And Scully was the skeptic. She was like, science, facts, evidence, build the case, reality. That's the only thing that she cared about. If she could prove it, it was good. If not, it, it, was, it was irrelevant. However you felt was irrelevant. For me, that makes Fox Mulder like the American people and Scully doing the job that you're supposed to do when you're critically evaluating information. What do you think? I think that's actually a fair point. I mean, the facts, what's it, the Ben Shapiro facts don't care about your feelings. You're supposed to be just a fact finder and then follow the, the breadcrumbs as they go and then prove what you can and, and disprove what you can as well. And, uh, I think now the ideal though FBI agent is the is the person who who has feelings guiding what they want or their preferred outcomes guiding what they want. I was criticized there was somebody some no name anonymous Twitter account was saying that you and I were failed FBI agents and I said that's right we are and if you had critical thinking skills and the ability to uphold an oath then you too could be a failed FBI agent. That yeah I remember seeing that interaction. The the idea that you failed simply because you assessed what was in front of you and said, nope, this is trash, this is garbage. And that was the case for me. We're on the eve of January 6th. It was the case for me when I started seeing the way that they were playing the January 6th insurrection narrative out of Washington Field. I remember them looking, they were like calling people in from the field. Imagine being called in from the field about the pipe bomber. That's what we were covering down on. And they were like, no, 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 no. You must evaluate leads that came in through whatever and talk and you must read the, what like some the failure to triage what should be the priorities of the preeminent, the premier, quote unquote, self-declared law enforcement agency in the country for for them, which is the, the largest and most wide in scope investigation in the history of the agency. And they pulled you off of what is probably the most uh, significant threat that day that happened. And they said you have to handle 911 calls, which are essentially like cat in a tree that are coming into the FBI. That's actually where the priority needs to go. It shows what their priorities are, and that is in quantity over quality, which is something that we hammered down on on the American Radicals podcast. It it shocks me that being a failed FBI agent thing or whatever they whatever they were claiming was like the insult. Is it? I feel like we're internet undefeated on this stuff. <laughs> this was. Uh, I, I think you put like, this oh, you well. Hurt my feelings said, because I don't have the job that I chose not to have anymore because of what I did. Weird flex. I, I mean, you you said this once, and I think it's it's oh, it always applies. It's we didn't engage in social media until we really had to because we were afraid we'd be really good at it, mm. and it just bears itself out every single time. But you're speaking past each other when every time you deal with these people because they are obviously not open to anything you have to say, which is why they're seeking you out just to to dunk on you, but. You know, they're dunking on you like you're playing on a wheelchair basketball court. They're not having to jump too high. That's fair. Let's 
let's uh, talk FBI malfeasance because I've got this one up here. I'm going to pull up a real story. I'll read it to you real quick and I'll come back to you. So this is coming out of headlineusa.com. The only dot com, the only dot com, the only dot com. Whoa, that was really fun. Dude, I can't even make that up. I assume you guys can hear what's going on. Yes. Did we just get a complete fail? Uh, the, the the board not just like it didn't just start throwing that noise out. It actually re refused to respond. Now people can give me thumbs up. All right. Let me just read this and keep you on the screen here. Holy crap. Uh, Watchdog Group seeks records about abrupt departure of FBI's former third in command. I'm sure. <laughs> Dude. Wow. All right. After learning about Jeffrey Sal's retirement, I heard various current and former FBI employees state allegations of sexual impropriety against Sal that caused him to retire. This is written by Ken Silva. Uh, this is not a news organization headline news USA that I'm familiar with all the time. However, I am familiar with the story. I've heard this from a bunch of people. I think you and I have also heard this at the same time. So allow me. I'm hopeful that like changing camera angles wasn't the thing that did it. Let me throw it on the screen because I do want people to be able to see where it came from. All right. Uh, Ongoing lawsuit against the Justice Department, they're battling for the right to neither confirm nor deny that records, if they do indeed exist, would be related to the abrupt departure of the FBI's former third in command, which is either the assistant or the associate deputy director. That's just below, um, what's that guy's name? Paula Bate. All right, so this uh, stems from previous lawsuits that they were trying to basically figure out what the hell was going on with this guy, Jeffrey Sallet. He was the associate uh, deputy director in February of 21, the third highest person in the bureau. And then suddenly he just has to disappear. Nine months later, he kind of retires. He now works at Ernst & Young. Folks, don't worry about him. He's making a higher salary. He has landed on his feet. But some of the stories that we heard about this guy were quite interesting, I would say, including uh, malfeasance on government vehicles, possibly an FBI jet that he was maintaining an affair in one city. This is the reports that we had from FBI sources that he was maintaining an affair in one city and then flying home to his spouse who was in Chicago. And that's like the classic FBI executive move, which is like pick up a girlfriend, make that girlfriend your special assistant, and then fly all over the country. Keep your family in one place. Keep your girlfriend in another place. The girlfriend knows, but she's emotionally compromised. What does that even say about our FBI? First, first of all, I, I'm guessing you've seen this story, right? You're familiar with the Glomar type responses? I'm familiar with it. And I just always go back to the first word of your motto is fidelity. And none of you are able to stay faithful to the person that you swore to be with for the rest of your life. And it's just too common that these, these guys are all compromised. And I can't help but thinking that that's by design. They only recruit pe and promote people who they know will become compromised or they can elicit some sort of compromise out of so that they can just go along because that small cadre as you get closer and closer to the top of the pyramid uh, that is calling the shots they can't do it themselves they need to have those middle managers actually executing the the the, the directives that they're giving them and put pressuring their underlings to do things and i think at, at their core most people apply to the fbi i I'm, I'm hopeful at least that they have some sort of soul and they want to do the right thing uh, they might not have the moral fortitude or character actually keep that going for two decades, but uh, to to violate that last little kernel that they have left where they say, okay, I'll just do whatever you tell me to do as long as you make sure that I get a nice spot at Ernst & Young to retire to, then they're just soulless at this point. Isn't it interesting? It used to be the case that if you had marital infidelity, that that would actually be a criteria for losing your security clearance. Do you know why they did that or do you have an instinct on why that would be important? Well, I mean, it's if you if you have uh, if you are not able to 
uh, be honest with the intrude, the one person that's supposed to be the most significant person to you in life. Why would I think that you're going to uh, protect classified information? Uh, that, that I mean, that you failed the the ultimate test here, which is interestingly a little sidetrack. When I took my polygraph, uh, I passed the first one, and then a year elapsed, and I had to redo it, and then they told me that I showed uh, I, I, that I lied on the second showed one. deception. Show deception, and uh, I said, "So where do I stand? What, what do I when I drive home after the four-hour drive home tonight? What do I tell my wife?" And they said, "Well, I, w I wouldn't tell her that you know you failed or that your your career path with us is gone." And I said, "Excuse me, you asked me if I lied to my spouse, and I told you I don't because I gave you an honest response, and now you're telling me that I should not be honest with her. That's a problem for me. I guess right. I, I probably should have stopped the application process at that point." Isn't it weird? I also remember that they they told me something about academic dishonesty. They're like, well, it looks like you just ticked on uh, academic dishonesty. So, and I go, okay, well, that's that's a mistake on your end. And then they went something like, well, you probably just you know cheated uh, you know on a Latin test or something in high school sometime. And they and they gave a throwaway. They, they, I feel like this is actually baiting to, to try to get you to admit to something. And I was like, I I don't think you know who you're talking to right now. So let me just help you out because I'm 35 at this time. If I don't get this job, like I'll move on with my life and do something else. And, and I go, I got a 0.75 GPA in college because I'm so obnoxiously fastidious about my own answers being the ones that I, that I'm willing to go to, that I would rather choose whatever it is that my brain comes up with having not attended a class, having shown up for a midterm that I didn't even go to the lectures in. I'd rather choose Kyle Serafin's answers than anybody else's answers, both because one, I'm not going to go cheat off anybody. That seemed ridiculous. But on top of it, I actually trust my guesses over people who, who look like they studied looking at the general population, call it arrogance, call it whatever you want. But like under no circumstances would I ever choose anybody else's answers over mine. And the guy was like, Burr. you know, like he doesn't care. If, well, you're willing to bet on yourself, which is a problem actually for them. They they don't want you to bet on yourself on no, your own you gut and your system. own instincts and, and proclivities to actually follow the truth where it goes. You just need to sit in the corner and color do what you're told to do. Steve, you're not doing anything other than driving this person to court. To me, it's the same as putting them on the train to Auschwitz uh, because I did a fair amount of critical thinking, which is, again, why I'm a failed FBI agent. You cannot, you cannot be a critical thinker and hang out in the FBI and at least make the friends of these people at the top. But you can do is bang your special assistant or have sex with somebody else's wife and in a, in a bureau car, of all things, all the you, time, you, you can have an inner office affair with somebody who is also married in that same office. And for some reason, they don't think that's going to be a problem. The thing that blows my mind about all of that, I guess the biggest thing that that, that upsets me in this sort of um, in, in the way that they play this game, it's that the one person that you should be faithful to, right, your spouse, that's a person, that's a human being that you have to look in the eye and you have to lie to. And then there's the quote unquote American people, which we keep hearing the FBI defends the American people. I've never met the American people. I've met Americans, but I've never met the entirety of the American people. So you're, you're going to be honest to a nebulous concept, but not to the actual human being in front of you. I think that actually says a lot about what the FBI's sort of priorities are. It's just, it, it's, it's all cosplay.
Yes. And I'm like, I, I saw open relationships in the FBI where there was two, obviously the power couples are the GS 26. But, right? but like the, the joke the, is, is that like, this is my work wife because I spend so much time with them. Like I could be your work wife, which means that when I pick up the phone, you answer it and your wife's like, who is it? It's like, oh, it's Kyle. It's like, that's your partner on the res who goes out. He has to ride whatever, you know, if you're going to go do an interview at midnight because something happened, like you want backup, you're going to call your work wife and your work wife shows up. That may or may not be a man or a woman. It's just a joke. Yes. But your actual it's, yeah, work Yeah, that's wife, the joke of the person that you spend as much time with at work as you theoretically would. Do. If you didn't have to work, that's the amount of time you'd be spending with your spouse. And then you have the actual, like, real work wife, which is, like, uh, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, who are actually sneaking off to bang in, in a car like teenagers because they, even though they had both six-figure salaries, they couldn't go get a hotel room at some crappy hotel, of which there are many. Th that that blows my mind more than anything else. Is that you guys have the means to not act like you're 14 years old. And they all do this. They all devolve into this, I don't know, this frat boy mentality. And I saw it very early on, even in the academy. We sort of like had this split in the in the road. And I always viewed the academy as being like a five-month job uh, interview. Yes. You're going to conduct yourself at the best that you can possibly be. But what I noticed there was like some people went there to actually apply to the for the job and they would be calling their wife at home at night and wouldn't be going doing anything else other than studying and preparing and then you had this other group that was going to relive their glory days of college and then their maturity level gradually dropped to frat boys to high school to middle school level where they were telling like fart jokes by the end and those are the guys that were having the affair they were they were partying it up they were coming in hung over in the middle of the week and we all at the end of the day got the same credentials gun and badge and they're probably the successful agents at this point. One of my buddies and, and I looked around and we saw the way that the women behaved. And, and by the way, I think there was 100% of the women, at least that I'm that I'm aware of, there may be one or two that scraped by, but like 100% of the women either were divorced, got divorced, or cheated on their husbands while we were there at the academy. Because it's a smaller number of women, that means that there were men that were involved in it too. Some of them from National Academy, which are like law enforcement officers from around the country, and they went there and cheated on their wives. Like, I laughed. I remember Jim Comey, doing the speech and talking about, because Quantico, the, the show Quantico, which was obviously, you know, a fantasy world, that show was just out there in the world and he was talking about it and dressing. He's like, yeah, we all <laughs> run around and do the things like you saw in this movie, show Quantico and everyone laughs and it's a, it's a good joke. And then you're like, I went back and watched it and it's like some chick shows up late, banging other dudes, uh, making bad decisions, runs it, so help me God, and like, you know, gets the oath out, but, but doesn't believe any of it, just showing up to be a, you know, a stooge. That's as much as I watched was the Academy part of it. So, yeah, that actually is pretty accurate, it turns out. I mean, it's a fantasized version of it because everybody's prettier, but it's not far off from I, – I looked at women as liabilities the entire time I was there. I was like, everyone here is sketch. I'm not going to talk to anybody if I can. And the amount of oversharing that actually goes on there where people expose their vulnerabilities, which is probably why the intel gathering aspect to it, to you can get people compromised later on. It starts in that, that process very early. We had, I call them the camp counselor. It's the professional who has a temporary assignment and is assigned to your class and is, what is, lives what is with you. Wait, we got to tell people what this is. So, okay, folks, if, you, if you've never been to a law enforcement academy, there are basically professional law enforcement officers who are teaching other soon-to-be law enforcement professionals how to do the job. The FBI has that. Then there's like a supervisor that sort of like maintains the administrative responsibility for your class and handles like who's there and if somebody has to go on leave. So they, they approve things like a normal supervisor might. That's fine. And then there's these camp counselors who are 
eventually going to be like if you were to graduate and get your credentials, you would immediately be peers with these people. They don't have supervisory responsibility. What is that about? It's a person whose uh, boss didn't mind if they left for five months to go and hang out at the academy with new agents. So that that's the, the quality of person that they're al actually allowing to leave their work. And my finding was that a lot of them had counterintelligence because obviously the case load there is not really pressing. They can step away for a lot of time, but they also have the skills to gain intelligence, which is why I, I for a time, I lived across the hall from my, my camp counselor and I just, I called her Miss Shannon. I was like, hi, Miss Shannon, and nothing else. I, I'm not going to share anything with you. And the people that would just be a revolving door into her room where they would go and like share all their feelings and their problems and their angst. And I just thought, you know, she's not your friend, right? All that information, if she's actually doing her job properly, should be going up the chain. They could say, hey, this person is not a good fit for us. I regularly. Uh, I, it, maybe they are a good fit for us. Yeah, they are a good fit. That's compromised. exactly correct. I, I had a I had a female breakdown while we were at the academy. I don't know why we get this sidetracked by this, but I had a female breakdown at the academy and she came to me and she didn't she didn't graduate. Um and she she cried a lot, like every day. Literally every day she cried for five months until she did. I had them. Yeah, I had one too. And she said she came to me one time and she was she was in tears. Like, I don't even know this person. She's married to somebody. She was theoretically a former army officer or an NCO. I think she was a senior NCO. And she's freaking crying and she goes, I just have to ask you, you know, do, do I belong here? And I'm like, who are you asking that of? Like, I don't even know you. And so I looked at it right in the face because this is the only way that I knew how to engage people like that. And I was like, I don't care. I don't know and I don't care and I'm not interested. And when I got to my, my field office, one of the gals that was in my class, she was like, hey, did you know that um, you used to make people cry a lot? And I was like, yeah, I remember that one chick, that Jessica girl. I, I remember her crying. And she was like, no, no, you made the guys cry too. And I was like, what? Who are we hiring? Who is doing this? You want to know why we can't find the pipe bomber? It's because we have some like crying babies. It doesn't mean that everybody in the FBI is a crying baby, but there's like frat boy stupidity, banging around on your spouse, even people that I liked that I thought were good people. There was a lot of good, decent people. And I found it afterwards that they were doing shady stuff. There may or may not be a story out there from my Quantico class where one of the dudes who I liked hooked up with one of the gals that I liked and may or may not have not made a baby. And she took the baby home to a spouse who was an FBI agent. That's the story that that was running around. When those are, everybody's got a story like that. You've got a story similar to that. I don't know if it's the exact same details. We all do. How screwy is that? Like, how does anybody let those things fly? It's like Congress, I guess. The mythos of the FBI being super squared away, like Fox Mulder is, is no, you can't be found as far as like even competence level. I mean, Scully's he had integrity, right? Like suit. he wanted to believe, which was the wrong thing to do. But he yes. did actually like, he always sort of like was a good person. <laughs> This it's this myth though that we get from the pop culture, we get from the TV and the movies that they're even good at investigating. Like, let's just say that this whole this whole put up job of the pipe bomber, which I think is is uh, I'm highly skeptical of, of that whole story. Uh, but let's just say it's a, a terrorist that wanted to put off a bomb that uh, for some reason he put a one hour egg timer on and eight hours later for an event. Uh, but Let's just say it was a legit terrorist. You're telling me that the FBI can't devote some of its $11 billion and 40,000 people to find this person with geofence technology when they're finding grandmothers who walk through the Capitol for 90 seconds taking pictures on their iPhone? We can't do it.
it's outside of our capabilities. Let's run some of these videos that I saved up here. Um, some of these are serious. Some of them are not. We're going to start with number one. We're going to see where we go here. So let's uh, let's rock and roll. We're going to get Steve Friend's take on some of this stuff. When you look at those layoffs and the state of low. And now, of course, the audio didn't work. I'm guessing you couldn't hear that. <laughs> all, all right. So that's sad. Thanks. Thanks, Soundboard. Literally, I did all this stuff and got it all set up beforehand. Folks, we even left the computer running all night just so that it was exactly the same setup. Uh, frustrating. Okay, that's dumb. Well, let's talk about the story that I pulled up here, which is about this. Uh, when you look at those layoffs. Really? Uh, situation in Houston, Texas. Grand jury decided that a man who shot and killed a robber inside of a taqueria is not going to be charged. I don't know if you saw this when it happened. This is going back a number of months. The People said he was a hero. I don't know if he was a hero. He's definitely not the hero that we want. Uh, this dude basically is sitting in his his um, his booth. Uh, guy comes in, holds what turned out to be not a real gun, is asking for money, putting people on the floor, scaring the crap out of him. As soon as the guy turns his back, uh, our, our so-called hero, this, this dude in the taqueria, draws his gun and absolutely obliterates the dude from behind and then sort of looked like he put in like a finishing shot at the end. It looked like he came and put like a, a final cap. That's pretty weird. Um, not a good, not a good look to be able to put a, like a, like a dead check on a dude when you're a civilian. <laughs> he just pig stuck him on his way out. Yeah. Like, he, John he, like literally like he's like looking around, he kicks the gun away from the guy and then the guy's like moving again. And then he like drops him again. Um, but even though in the civilian, in the, I mean, this is an interesting sort of like, I think case study for civilians, because like theoretically, if you're a professional, that's a definite no go. You're accountable for every single shot and every single shot has to be justifiable at the time that you take the shot. I think it's kind of interesting that a Houston grand jury looked at it and went like, bro, he's not a pro. He's just a dude trying to stop somebody who was trying to rob everybody, you know, and that guy was probably already dead when he shot him, which didn't actually appear to be the case, but they, that's Texas for you. Maybe that's the swing back that we're going to get in this country where people are like, yeah, we're not going to go so super litigious. He did basically the right thing. And that'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting change. That's a little bit of like that old Western mentality that, you, you know, you see in the spaghetti Western videos, which is kind of like he he, they, he rolled into town. He's reached for the gun like, and they shoot him <laughs> while he's reaching. And he's like, yes, shoot his hand. Off, you know, shoot, yeah, shoot the six shooter out of his hand when he was just hovering around it. Send that warning shot. I mean, there's the, there's a, definitely a little bit of, of swing back there, I think, because people are tired of seeing news story after news story of these people just tearing up. The streets tearing up these businesses. I, I saw a story last night where all these businesses were closing because of just rampant thefts and people are just rolling in and, and security can't stop it from happening. So there's a little bit of like, all right, that's enough. Dad's going to take his belt off here and restore a little bit of order. And if it's outside the bounds of what we have an expectation of, like the proper use of deadly force, when this guy was putting people on the ground with, you know, it didn't want to being a real weapon, but from what their perspective was, he was had them at gunpoint. Certainly, without outside the finishing shot, I mean, there was a threat of imminent violence or, or serious injury to someone. You'd be within your rights as a law enforcement officer in the federal government to to put him down. Yeah, in the back, for sure. That's definitely not a problem. It's the finishing shot that makes everybody kind of a little bit concerned. Anyway, it's interesting to know that a Houston grand jury decided to side with that he basically was reasonable, which is kind of what we want our grand juries to do. They're like, hold you to the standard that a reasonable person would. Like, he doesn't know. He doesn't have specific training. Maybe he thought the guy's going for a second gun articulated like this is an ex parte hearing obviously like he's not there to defend himself the jury the grand jury heard whatever they presented and went like nah not interested i like that unless you know also the possibility is is that this is houston so probably unlikely the arguments in front of the grand jury which is sealed folks we don't know what they said 
but they might have been like, we don't really want to charge this case, but we have to. That's what I was just going to say. What do you think? That prosecutor went in there and was like, I'm going to tank this so bad. Yeah. Just because I want that no, no, but no true bill. Yeah. No true bill in this case would be probably uh, beneficial. Let's kind of hit another one of these. This is the story that was running out there for a little while yesterday and then sort of got covered up. Kind of interesting. Sixth grade student killed, five others injured in an Iowa shooting. You guys may have heard about this. It looks like the individual had some serious mental illness. I'm reading this from from National Review. 17-year-old gunman opened fire at Perry High School on Thursday morning, killing a sixth grade student, injuring five others. That in and of itself, a 17-year-old going and killing a sixth grader is really gross to me. Uh, Sixth grader was a student there, shared the campus with the high school, so that's why they were in close proximity to each other. Four other students and administrator were injured. Not clear about what the severity of those injuries were. And uh, everybody was treated for gunshot wounds. The alleged shooter's name is Dylan Butler. Found dead at the scene, appeared to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound, small caliber handgun and a pump-action shotgun, those uh, those ugly assault weapons. Uh, and, of course, the stories that we're hearing, Steve, is that these people were probably, or this guy was probably either um, LGBTQ something, trans, mentally confused. My always question is, like, how many SSRIs were involved? Because if anybody is involved in that kind of level of mental illness where they think their gender is not right. Almost always, it seems like the move is, I'm hearing Lexapro is a big one, but people are always trying to find some sort of anti-anxiety medication to try to help these people feel like normal. It's like you're a teenager. You're not going to be normal, bro. And that needs to be out in the open with people. We need to say like, look, this is just awkward. Everybody feels it. You're just going to have to cope with it and just just be a normal person. I mean, th- we need to set up these these guardrails here where we just kind of like keep people in check. You're going to obviously like bank between the two guardrails during those awkward years. But when we just facilitate people's pro- proclivities and, and we, we celebrate the fact that they were saying and have this false belief that they can tr- change their gender and we, we want to give them a victim status and then we want to give them standing ovations for their stunning bravery and, and we're just playing into it. it. This is the only time if if I if my, if my kid came up to me and was like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm a secret agent, uh, I'm working for the CIA, I'd be like, son, we need to go get you some help. But if my son comes up it's and not says, just that Dad, I I'm a girl. CIA, but I actually have an implant in my brain. I've tuned my brain now that I can listen to what the CIA says. By the way, I get these in my DMs all the time. So that's mm-hmm. worth noting. I get, I mean, I had somebody yesterday, uh, two days ago, sent me a thing. He's like, the government has tried to have me murder this person and this other stuff. It's like, bro, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're suffering this way. But I also, we can't confirm that. That's That's ridiculous. Well, and, and I remember very simple. I mean, I got very baseline training uh, as a police officer for having to deal with mentally disturbed people. Mm-hmm. And they said, do not play into their what, what they're saying. Do not say, oh, yeah, I see that person, too, because they're going to they kind of deep down know that you don't because their whole lives they have been told that, no, nobody's there. Nobody's there. And they're going to call BS. And that's when they can get really violent. Yes. But for some reason, we have to say, oh, that's right. You are a girl. You are a girl. And what happens now is the, the these guys turn violent. We're, we're because we're trying to, I guess, appease them or pat them on the head or give them a participation trophy. Uh, the T and the LGBT is now terrorist. What's interesting to me is that um, you mentioned that it's like crazy kind of kind of sniff out if you're trying to affirm crazy. And I had a buddy who spent a lot of time in and out of mental institutions. He lived on the street in New Orleans. He was troubled. He was very gifted as a musician. He was very artistic and kind of amazing in that way. But, you know, he said when people would come in and they were faking like an insanity defense to get out of some kind of a crime and they would get put in for observation with us, we always knew they were faking it. And I wonder how much of that is like people that are on the uh, the LGBT thing where they're not, not gay people, obviously, and obviously not lesbians. I don't think there's anything mentally ill about that. There's people that have, you know, different sexual preferences. 
anybody who hasn't experienced that is like, you know, there may be other pathology behind it. But uh, end of the day, I don't think that you're mentally ill for that. But what I do think, if you actually believe that the physical body, like you grow a beard, but you think you're supposed to grow boobs instead of beards, and that's like the way your body was designed to be, and it's not, and somehow God blew it and put you in the wrong spot, like there's something wrong with you, my friend, and it's not that you're in the wrong body. And I'm wondering if the affirmation eventually doesn't become enough because they're like, oh, they're all lying to me again. And because the pathology is probably something else. The other thing is, is SSRIs, which we, we I saw the chat kind of got to give the thumbs up on this. And we don't talk about it enough, but a lot of people don't understand what the SSRI does. And actually, almost any time we start playing around with hormones in these receptors, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, what they do is there's a certain amount of serotonin that's in your body, right? And it's supposed to be re-upped, and then your body reproduces it, sends it, it's a, it's a, a neurotransmitter. And if your body is not producing enough of it, which is giving you an unfavorable outcome, not, you're not feeling right, which, by the way, is totally subjective, as my wife and I were talking about the other day. There's no way to know. Like, what does feeling right mean? Maybe it's just like life kind of sucks sometimes, people. And so you're not supposed to feel right. But anyway, they, they go and they and they stop these. They, they take these SSRIs. Your body becomes reliant on a new baseline level of not picking up the serotonin. And then they go off those meds or they try to change meds. And when they do, the body is now reacting to a dramatically lower amount because it goes back to its normal mechanism of picking it up. And it doesn't have the available serotonin. Same thing with testosterone, by the way. If you start taking testosterone replacement, you've basically signed up to do that for life because your body will fall apart because it sets a new baseline. And that's the thing I wonder how much of this is like doctors tweaking meds. I've never heard anybody drag doctors in and be like, hey, what were you giving them and what were you tweaking right when they decided to go shoot somebody? Because I'm sure that scares the crap out of doctors and and you know psychologists. I, I think, yeah, that's... That's definitely worth investigating because a lot of these these doctors are just kind of pushing the pills out that they're told they're following best practices being uh, handed down to them by the, the CDC or the NIH or whatever the heck it is. Which these, is funded by the uh, mindless companies. bureaucracies. <laughs> like they're literally uh, they're literally taking the studies uh, from the people who are paying for their budget and saying, hey, these are really good studies. You know, we have a, we have that system. We have this false belief that the FDA is standing there to actually do what it used to do, which was like make sure that food standards were correct. I mean, it's gotten make far sure, afield from what it used to be. Make sure your food had the adequate amount of uh, rat droppings in it, just not low enough than, so that it was okay. Not more than the appropriate amount of rat droppings. Yeah. yeah. Can for brief, can we cover down on the the fact that they're going after the kids? And I just had this thought um, because I've got two young kids, one in first grade. So it's that uh, the the ability to say, well, the emperor has no clothes. They're, they they'll just call things as they see them, and I think that they're they these mentally disturbed people are seeking the affirmation from the kids because the kids will call BS, whereas adults kind of like play this what's socially acceptable game. Interesting. Um, my, so my my six-year-old, he does jujitsu, and there's a boy in his class who is being raised to be a girl. And when I hear my son come out of class and he for him to describe what was going on with this boy, he's like, yeah, he 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 says he, but then he inserts other female characteristics because he's having some sort of cognitive dissonance and trying to express to me right. things because he's seeing them in a situation where the emperor has no clothes and he's unwilling to or just unaware now of well how you're supposed to gender these people, uh, and that's why I think that there might be a lot of resentment from these people who have the the mental disturbances because they're being called out by these people that theoretically intellectually they should be able to turn circles around, but they're getting called out on their BS. Yeah, little kids get it. Um, 
they they look and they know. So there's a there's a um, gender confused weirdo who teaches gymnastics at uh, at my daughter's gymnastics thing, and I'm and I'm kind of reticent to send my kid into that. I, I kind of watch from the window and go like, mm, what's going on? And and he seems okay. He's just like you know you don't want to discriminate against people. All, uh, but I'm more than happy to on behalf of my kids. Let me get real. Like I will headbutt that guy and throw him through plate glass, but. <laughs> He's got a nose ring like they do, and he's got ear gauges like they do, and he's got curly hair, which could be masculine, but he wears it in a feminine way, and he has like feminine-ish features because of the way that he's trying to dress himself. But I asked her, I said, hey, how about your teachers, honey? And she's six. I said, how about your teachers at uh, gymnastics? What are they? She goes, well, we got a new teacher today, and uh, it's a new boy teacher. She knows right away. (laughs) You know, no matter how much like he wears like pink sweatpants or whatever the hell he wants to do. She knows what's going on. And if that ever turns into and like, and you know, it's very supervised and there's a bunch of parents watching through glass windows and whatnot. And so I'm not too concerned about that, knowing that she can see it. And it's actually probably better to expose people, uh, little kids that know exactly what's going on. And then I go, yeah. And she goes, why does he have that thing in his nose? And I go, well, he's probably very confused and he probably doesn't like himself. And, uh, you know, we'll just be really compassionate. But, um, you know, don't ever let him touch you kind of thing. <laughs> because if he hey. does, I will take his arms off and choke him to death with his own arms. That's that's I, the, I, like like you know that that's the the, the general Mattis thing. Be professional, be calm, be polite, teach your kids the right things. They don't have to be rude to people in public that are having problems. And yet, you know, have a plan to kill everybody you meet. I mean, I have the belief that we have to restore some sort of guardrails, which is why I tell my six year old in jujitsu, if he ever gets paired up with this this boy who wants to be a girl, that he is to make him cry every single time that they have a sparring session, and just. To just dismantle this kid because we'll, we'll we'll beat that right out of him. It will actually be good for that kid. <laughs> I mean, there was a, there is a, an advantage to bullying. Like you don't have to like Bill Gates, which I don't. But Bill Gates probably is Bill Gates because Bill Gates was likely bullied as a kid. Would you agree? Probably mercilessly, and yeah. that drove him to achieve what he has, which is now you know effectively being a murderous person who wants to have world domination. It, it may have drove, but, but first it drove him to like unbelievable amounts of success and cutthroatness and business and so on. And that used to be the sort of standard. We didn't know that they were all going to like end up with like some technology that was going to uh, probably kill us at the end. But <laughs> the the initial effects, Bill Gates being an outlier, that uh, bullying kind of keeps, it, it used to keep the guardrails. It's the same reason why shame is really a powerful thing. And you can't use shame for its own sake to make you feel good, but you can use shame to keep people in line because there are social norms. And should you choose to abandon them, and George Hill and I have talked about this a couple of times, if you abandon social norms, then everything is normal, which means nothing is normal, which means we get weirdos, which is where we're at right now, kind of interesting would- enough. Would shame be something you should feel if you step out on your wife while you're in the FBI with your assistant who you have uh, arranged for to get no-show jobs in out of out of state so that you can go and have your sexual interludes? Hold on. Boop. There it is. It's on the screen. Yeah, of course, right? Isn't that the other thing? Is like we have shameless people that are working in our federal government. This goes back to the thing about Epstein. The, the real thing that I want to know is everybody thinks that Epstein had all this blackmail. Why does anyone think that would move the needle for these people? That's the real question. Unless they're just involved in some really freakish things. Even even underage stuff doesn't seem to to cause the amount of backlash. Like everybody, you hear people will, will, will joke about putting people into a wood chipper, but do they really? How many people have been fed into a wood chipper? I'm not saying we mm-hmm. should feed people into a wood chipper, by the way. I'm just saying that's the discussion that is had by like rational and reasonable people that pedophiles are the worst types in this country. And then... Like what? What's what's the result? There's a ton of them. That's why people like uh, Alex Rosen has been kind of awesome. Like uh, he's out there, just interviewing them, talking to them, exposing exactly how sick and weird they are, and and then they've got to deal with it. And if you do nothing about it, it's on you. 
And he gets them arrested, and, by the way, which is great. And they, they're, they're shamelessness. I mean, there's a um, Frank Caliendo is that uh, does the vocal impressions and he does an impression of Bill Clinton. He, he talks about how Bill Clinton was like the best liar ever. And he would stand in front of you and say, like, I am not here right now. That's right. I remember that. At, that that is the shamelessness that they'll just say, like, well, we have your name on the Epstein list. No, you don't. No, I wasn't there. Wasn't me. And then the media will be like, OK, and what's going to happen? There's no never any consequences for these people. Uh, I don't I don't think that they're as much as there's supposed to be this bombshell, these names coming out and all that. Um, you know, I'm I'm taking it upon myself. I'm actually keeping a list. We're very early in 2024. I want to keep a list of all the news stories through the year that are supposed to be like bombshell, breaking news. And then uh, in December this year, kind of go back and be like, yeah, whatever happened with that story and see how much of it just went away. And and really, uh, my, my focal point of that is, is sort of just being this student of history and, and knowing that uh, people th talk about like, well, there was the Boston Tea Party. And then you turn the page and it's like, well, Lexington and Concord. And it's like, you guys know it was almost like a decade between those events, right? There was a lot <laughs> that happened. Like a lot that going but... on. Here's, here's what I think that this is this is your thing for your podcast. Write down all the bombshells, air quotes, bombshells. And then what I want you to do is decide how many of them were flashbangs. And how many of them were training bangs? Yes, that were completely inert. <laughs> <laughs> that hit the that floor. That should be the three and, buckets. And the training thing bangs, that... flashbangs, bombshells. That's right. Training bangs, uh, flashbangs, and bombshells. Some of them are distracting. Some of them are just uh, a trial balloon, and some of them are actual work. The, the question is, is which are which? And I think that at the end of the year, you could probably have a really fun triple threat list. A lot of these well, things are nonsense. The, the big one to me that actually motivated me to start this project was, do you remember when there was a weather balloon that flew over the country last year? Because I completely forgot about it, and, so, and I just heard about it recently and was like, oh, yeah, China had a spy balloon. I remember it captivated the country for like three weeks and we threw a raptor around it and blew it out of the air. After and it had already photographed whatever it wanted to. Yeah, but for like uh, days. That's a, it wasn't like it was like, right. well, there's a couple hours and this thing is, it's not like it's a plane that was flying over like a U-2 spy plane like back oh. in the Russia days. No, this was a slow drifting balloon that was like, <laughs> do, you, do you imagine like once it broke the news and it was like, it's over Montana. It is now over, uh, it's out now over the Dakotas. It's slowly moving over Iowa or whatever, or um, Ohio rather, and, it's, and it makes it to South Carolina. And they're like, it's over the sea. It is now photographed all of America. Let's get it. And then they Let's got, go get it now. Then they went, go get it. How stupid are we? To watch but the first, stuff. they flew around it multiple times so it could take pictures of all of our, uh, our airplane technology. We wanted to let them know what kind of, well, F-22, right? Yeah, it's not. It's not You're the, the Air Force up. guy, but I, I've been told that that's really not the not the best we have. It's not the bee's knees. But to be sad about that is not uh, is not wrong, I don't think, because like what on earth? Yeah, the number of like scandals that you should see from this presidential season is so many. And then meanwhile, the guy barely is able to speak, and he's still out there. Uh, yeah, I heard Vivek Ramaswamy talking about how he thought that it's very possible that the deep state sort of plant is not going to be a Michelle Obama. Did you hear this the other day? Not a Michelle Obama. It's not a, a Gavin Newsom that's going to sneak in and replace Biden. The, the money that is behind sort of the, the alternative is Nikki Haley. And, and if Nikki Haley was trying to run as sort of like a mediocre Democrat down, you know, down the left middle, would she be saying anything different than what she's saying right now? Mm, I mean, maybe there'd be more push for like radical, uh, radical gender transitioning. But 
Otherwise, that's just being like, yeah, sort of that, but like, if she wants that to, nothing. If she wants to tack towards the middle and, and gain people to be like, yeah. yeah, she's a GOP. She's she's reasonable. She's a nice lady. You know, she has a dress. She speaks with this weird thing because she had her teeth fixed. That I can't she's got stand. the John Kerry jaw thing going on. Yeah, I despise listening uh, to that dude. It's so bad. I yeah, that, she's not she's not a bad choice if you're yeah if you're gonna do that. I mean, I think that they're the, the ones if you're gonna go off the board. Um, and I, don't, I don't know if she has any interest in it, um, but I, I keep thinking like Tulsi Gabbard is gonna come back as like the RFK Veep, and then they'll be. They'll be cooking with fire at that point. I think. Yeah, we haven't seen Tulsi Gabbard pop up for a while. Yeah, and I think she probably was banking on like some sort of like Fox News gig, and now Fox has kind of fallen off. I mean, they're hiring uh, FBI Barbie as a contributor, so I don't know what uh, Tulsi's future prospects are for them. (laughs) She lost a podcast, so she's good to go. She's probably making forty k a day. Um, Let me let me hit this uh, story that you brought up, which is good. This is coming straight out of the loop. So, folks, if you're not following. My friends over at Catholic Vote, you're missing out on that. You should also check out Edify underscore US. Edify is their uh, their podcast that's sort of like PragerU. It's like little short little lessons of things. I'm going to be featured on one pretty soon, which we've already taped and it looks really good. They are America's top advocacy group for uh, Catholic interest, which are going to be faith, family, and freedom, which are going to align with many of you. And of course, today's loop is of value as well. You guys can get on here. Let me pull this uh, story up real quick. So I'll read it real quick. The headline is pro-abortion activists ordered to do community service after attacking pro-lifers. It's not just that they were um, that they didn't like that they were protesting. They actually got involved in a physical assault. These pro-abortion protest these pro-abortion protesters assaulted pro-life students at the Virginia Commonwealth University VCU in March, and they're not going to face jail time, and they won't have a criminal record, but they will be required to perform some community service. So that's very nice. On the 29th. The Antifa and pro-trans activists attacked pro-life students and speakers at a scheduled event called Lies Pro-Choicers Believe. It was a Turning Point USA Ambassador Isabel Brown and Students for Life President Kristen Hawkins were able to give their talk, but then they were met with all these hateful chants that escalated into violence and a series of altercations unfolded, leaving a number of pro-life students assaulted, resulting in several complaints, and EMTs were called to the scene to treat injuries. Of course, the end result was not... Uh, lock them up forever. They didn't get hit. With, obviously, there's no face act in this case because it wasn't a clinic. But uh, rather than this outrage about people using violence to get their ideas across, they're going to get uh, probation. And luckily, no criminal record. How do you feel about the no criminal record part? Uh, I, I, as you're reading that, I, I read it before. This has just occurred to me. Do you think they're going to do their community service at a Planned Parenthood? Can you do that? I, I mean, I don't I, How much do you want to bet they're going to have? I don't know. Sign no, up. There'll be out. a greeter. And it walks the person in, and then they'll get all their credit for doing exactly what they wanted to do the whole time. And uh, the fact that they don't they're have a escort, criminal record they're now. They're going to escort women who want to have abortions. They could do that. That's that's community service. Imagine imagine if that's what it comes out to. Uh, and the court basically, yeah, entitles them to do what they want. And the fact that they're associated with Antifa, which is the greatest contradiction ever, where you have the FBI director come up and say, well, Antifa isn't being prosecuted because they're, they're not an organization. They're an idea. When... I know that if it has a predicated ideology, then the FBI should investigate them for that. And I was told that we don't investigate them because they don't have a predicated ideology. So the the contradiction there, we're just going to not investigate them and just we, we have to figure out how to say it, but we can't say it. Uh, and, and these guys now uh, are going to have no record, whereas you got our friend Steve Baker, who might be staring at years in prison for being a journalist and That's right. engaging in nothing improper or illegal. Well, that's a good segue, too, because I'm going to be seeing Steve Baker tomorrow, so I'll get some photos. You guys follow the social media at Kyle Serafin and at TP 
C4USA, our new Blaze contributor buddy, Steve Baker. Going to do a speech tomorrow with him out in Long Island. So for my federal air marshals that are looking to know where I'm going, that's where I'm going. It's a direct flight. You can just fly down and back. It should be a pretty easy day for you all if they choose to follow me. I don't really care. Uh, but interestingly enough, you're talking about predicated ideologies and whether or not they are actually an organization. Under no circumstances should anyone have the belief that Antifa is not organized and is not a group. They operate, which we've talked about on the show, as efficiently or more efficiently than most of the transnational organized crime syndicates, members of like, you know, um, MS-13 or things like that. Like they're far more aggressively and capably organized. They use tactics that would be described as militaristic or paramilitaristic, no question about it. And we had captured comms, we had spotter teams and response teams and security elements and people that were blocking streets and they had plans, like all kinds of wild stuff that we saw in Portland. There's no question in my mind, I will emphatically say this, I would go on record, I would swear it under oath. There's no question in my mind that Antifa is highly organized, even if they're organized by cell, they're still organized. They're definitely organized groups everywhere. They Andy, Andy Noe has written a whole book about course, it. I mean, the, the training that they do, I mean, they sell merch. I mean, like, well, I guess the suspendables do too. So next thing you know, we'll be a predicated ideology That'd of, be good. I don't know, upholding your oath. Abandoned threat. <laughs> Are you suspendable? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're throwing out these, these, uh, these bumper sticker lines, like that's a problem. Uh, so I, I could easily see Christopher Ray giving the directive to the domestic terrorist side of the house to open up some sort of, uh, assessment on on us well which is why we have marshals or surveillance teams flying with us keeping us company which i do enjoy i mean i got upgraded to the emergency exit aisle last time so they could get a better eye of me and it was like a five-hour flight so thank you uncle sam well let me let me throw this as a funny little thing because burt macklin fbi follows us on uh, on twitter which is one of my favorite twitter troll accounts and somebody i had a, a discussion with a guy who was all pissed off he's like he's a desantis anon account and i'm like no 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 you understand he's the number one Outs best troll of the FBI that I've ever seen on social media. He's absolutely hilarious. Like the things that come out of a Burt Macklin's mouth or are tw tweeted out. The FBI sees it because the FBI is following what we're doing. And therefore, yes. I'm happy to boost these signals. They're very funny to me on every level. And uh, there was a joke that was made, but it made me think even think uh, deeper about it. He goes, uh, you know, I really like what you had to say. He goes, I might be taking you off the watch list after that nice comment or something like that. Right. And I said, don't you dare. <laughs> you leave me on the watch list. And here's why. I can't carry a gun on a plane anymore. I used to be the guy that could do that. I'm really happy to know if there are people with guns on a plane, even if they're watching me, at least they're going to respond to something crappy that goes on. So that's good news for me. And if I have a surveillance team that follows me anywhere that I'm not normally carrying a weapon, that's the best case scenario for me. At least somebody's got a gun. I got a better chance than not having a gun if I fly to like a New York where I can't carry. I actually don't hate the idea of a surveillance team being on me. I've warmed up to this idea where I'm embracing the idea that somebody is there and they think they're kind of they're they're actually watching me for bad things, but what they really do is they're keeping me safe. They don't know it. How do you feel about that idea? It's a reframe. I I like that. I like the way that you you turn lemon into into lemonade there. I I, I my question to myself I'd is I'd like to turn it into a key lime pie if possible. I'm much more of a key lime pie guy. Well, yeah, I mean, didn't you do? Well, you're a cheesecake guy too, Cheesecake Factory. That's mm. that, that's what you love. Mm. Uh, if and when I ever get a chance can, to meet, my wife could Mac take me on a date. Hold on, my wife could take me on a date to Cheesecake Factory, and I would not object. Um, even though I hate all restaurants, basically, I hate going out in public, but I don't hate the idea of eating cheesecake for dinner. Well, you should always eat dessert first because you never know if the meteor strike happens mid-meal. That way, you've at least knocked out the cheesecake. See, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's even, even an almond eater gets it. <laughs> 
if I ever get the chance to meet Burt Macklin mm. and uh, he doesn't look like Chris Pratt, which is his avatar, I'm going to be enormously disappointed because like in my mind, that's that's who he is. It's 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 Chris Pratt wearing an FBI raid coat. I know. And I'm really sad that it's probably not the case. So Burt Macklin, don't ever show your face. Just hide behind your social media identity forever. Burt, Burt watches the show. So that's good stuff, too. <laughs> it's all He's true. Great. All right. What do you got coming up for tomorrow for uh, Amrad? Uh, well, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the Trevor Aronson piece that just came out about another FBI entrapment over a would-be Hamas uh, person. Uh, Gary and I are going to discuss that as well as some other smaller injustices that we're seeing. That'll be the title, Injustice. Injustice. Fantastic. Uh, Steve, let's do the merch store real quick, too, while you're sitting here. I am wearing a Last Line Strength shirt, y'all, which you may be able to find on the-dispendables.com. It's the-dispendables.com. The promo code is Kyle. That will save you a few bucks. It doesn't save me anything. It doesn't make or break me, but it does keep Garrett O'Boyle busy uh, yelling at his children to do the work of the sweatshop. And I will be handing Steve Baker one of those Suspendables pins in person. We have a limited edition black pin that some of you guys have seen, and that will be handed out only to people that we know are really facing it down as real suspendables. And so we appreciate all of you guys supporting the-suspendables.com, the merch store. Garrett was just telling me, I think we've driven like $25,000 worth of total revenue there in only a couple of months, which is sort of insane. Um, you can find similar shirts to this. I don't know if you can find this one. This one is a thin red line on the back. It's a red line strength in red. I think Garrett basically makes things because he thinks they're going to look cool. And then if he doesn't think he can sell them, he just mails them to me, which I will wear on the show and confuse all of you thinking that they're available to you. Nobody knows if they're legit. I'll be probably wearing this on the plane. So for whatever it's worth, check out the-dispendables.com. And uh, anything else we need to add out there? What else we got to add as a wrap up? Other than thanks <laughs> thanks to your dad for joining us as a, uh, as a new show contributor. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Dad, and uh, and and thanks uh, to Mom. I think my, my mom probably drove uh, at least a quarter of that revenue through the uh, through the O'Boyle family sweatshop. <laughs> I went and visited. Everybody was decked out in Suspendables merch, so uh, the friend family definitely appreciates it. Um, uh, I will be in Sanford, Florida, tomorrow with Brandon Straka for a uh, January sixth event. We're going to be uh, talking to a group there. If anybody's local in the area, feds included, uh, we'll uh, we'll meet you there. Outstanding. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for joining me today, folks. We're going to wrap this sucker up with going to a review right here. Let's see here. I got a five-star review coming in from, oh, let me look at it real quick. There it is. Prince Feet. What does that mean, Prince Feet? Inspirational and terrifying, not just a peek behind the curtain. Kyle throws the door wide open to show the inner workings of the FB, okay, and our corrupted police state. Thoughtful, smart, and real. I'm glad to know there are people like this who are fighting for what's good about this country. There are plenty of things that are good about this country, folks. And one of the things that we are doing is pushing sort of the uh, anti-January 6th insurrection narrative by going out and talking to people and saying what it is and what it is not. The speech that I'm giving, which I have not written yet, but I will be giving tomorrow, is entitled, A Weaponized Government Should Not Be a Partisan Issue. It should not be about party politics. And if you are thinking that something about that is, it just means that you're getting played by someone, most likely a side that is trying to weaponize you against your neighbors. Go out there and meet them. Uh, go go hold hands, shake hands, share a beer, watch fireworks, whatever it is. Do normal things with your neighbors because they are, in fact, the people that are going to help us get through the other end of this. We can't do it with a Nikki Haley types. We can't do it just, um, just hoping, hoping that one side is going to come in and pummel the other side. That's not what America is about, never has been. So I appreciate it. We'll see you guys on the other side of this. Thanks for sticking with us through the technical difficulties. Man, 
it's going to be one of those days. I didn't sleep much. I never sleep before a plane ride. So I will see you guys on Monday after all this, and we'll see what kind of wild things shake out on this uh, anniversary of January 6th tomorrow. God bless you all. See you then. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rubble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.